Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 266th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Michael Groves and Liam Devine. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have Danny Madden on the show. He is the writer-director of Beast Beast, a new movie that just came out on VOD. Uh, It played in a bunch of theaters as well, and it played at a little festival we like to call Stardance. Sundance. Sundance, sorry. Mm, yeah, right. That's right. my first time hearing of it. Danny is awesome. He was also a creative director, which is a position I never really heard of, but he explains it, and it's quite cool and fascinating on another movie that we've talked about in the past called Thunder Road, Jim Cummings' movie. And uh, yeah, he's uh, he's real interesting. He is a real cool filmmaker. He's part of the Vanishing Angle crew uh, we've had the producer, Natalie Metzger, from there on the podcast before. So she did not produce this film. Those Vanishing Angle folks make a lot of stuff. and <laughs> It all plays at South By or Sundance. And uh, they are quite successful in the indie film space. So good job, Danny. Yeah, well done, Danny. Um, Beast Beast is the film. It's available wherever you watch movies currently. So check it out. Maybe before you listen to the rest of this episode. Or if you're driving, go ahead, pull over. You know, stop working out. Stop doing the dishes, watch the movie real quick, and then jump back into it. Yeah. Award-winning film. Check it out. It's got it's got a real cool aesthetic. It was shot in many locations with uh, really great actors. And one of the leads is actually the director's brother, Will Madden. Uh, so that's cool, too. This movie has such a great story about just the nature of production. I think we tend to not want to talk about it too much when it's other films. And it's just like, oh, yeah, we worked really hard and we all slept in the same house. But this one, I think, is the exception to the rule. I think there are a lot of unique aspects of the way that they made this film that are especially interesting. And I think, frankly, applicable to indie filmmakers out there who are looking to bootstrap their first film or their second film. Yeah. And before we jump into talking to Danny, I wanted to talk about an email we got because it kind of applies to Danny's film, Beast Beast, too. It's from a listener named Cameron in Australia. Cameron says, I recently came into the email address of a large-scale action producer slash director. My company is currently working on a short action proof of concept with some big Australian stunt names. In terms of sending an unsolicited email self-promoting a final product to somebody very established in the industry, what do you suggest in terms of approach? If you have some thoughts on this, maybe do's and don'ts, I would appreciate your opinion a lot. 
Um, so thanks, Cameron. Thanks for emailing us. We actually, Matt and I both have already responded to Cameron via email, but we thought this was a really interesting question because it's a super common topic, right? Like Matt, between the two of us, I'm sure we have some very famous people's or not famous necessarily, very powerful in Hollywood type people's email addresses and contact info. So I guess the short answer is I personally, and I think Matt, you agree, would not randomly email a powerful producer slash director that I didn't know with my proof of concept short, mainly because it would A, probably be annoying to them and B, they are probably not going to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I I would agree. And even if they have like a famously open attitude about things, I think that's the case. And I want to put the big, big, big caveat out there that like just because we were saying don't email a person who whose email address you have does not mean that you can't get in front of them in other ways or that it's a bad idea or that you should play small or be timid in some way so i want to make sure that that is clear and i think we'll dig into the ways in which maybe you can sort of get the the end result that cameron is looking for with a little bit more of a maneuvering or, or diplomacy or tact somehow basically Yeah, I think the easiest way you would contact this person with your proof of concept is however you got their email address, maybe you were accidentally CC'd on an email or something. So let's say it's George Miller. I think the move is you say the person who you got the email address from, you say, listen, I have made this thing. I have a company made this thing. We think it's exactly up George Miller's alley and we would love to get it in front of him. And the big, big, big thing here is you need to have a reason (laughs) you can't just say like i want george miller to see my proof of concept short you need to say i want him to see the short because i know he's uh his company is looking for new projects or i know he i don't know honestly usually there is actually no reason like if you and i could get jj abrams ear tomorrow i don't know what necessarily we would show him or how useful that would be for us Right. You have to have some sort of specific request or value add, which is, I think, the thing that I really was trying to get at in our emails is that everyone's time is precious. There's also a little bit of vulnerability in terms of like being emailed by a stranger when you're a person who's high profile and who, you know, is vulnerable to lawsuits. If someone, you know, comes out of the woodwork and says, hey, so and so stole my idea, I emailed them you know, this project 15 years ago, see, here's the email. I have proof, you know, like all of that stuff makes people a little anxious. And especially the higher profile you are, the the more vulnerable you are to that because people do like to pull that sort of stuff. But if you have an intro through the proper channels, perhaps that's a friend of a friend, perhaps that's a producer. Does this person have people on his or her team whose job it is to develop things. Probably if they're big and fancy, they've got a shingle, you know, they've got a handful of producers who are attached to them who are looking for IP. And so I think thinking that through is one thing. I think also having a third party, whether that's an agent or a manager or a producer, or, you know, even maybe, uh, uh, you know, the stunt performer or something like that, having somebody else say, Hey, you got to check this out. Just just adds a level of credibility. Just someone vouching for you, I think, really goes a long way. And also, it lowers people's defenses immediately because if Oren is pitching somebody else's idea, like, oh, man, this is so awesome. I just thought of you. I think this would be great. Then the person whose film it is isn't like, 
coming asking for a favor their their hand isn't out in the same way right yeah and so yeah. i think that's a big part of it i mean it's all about validation and like uh trusted sources and an unsolicited email is quite worthless especially when it's sent to very busy people that have a lot of projects going on yeah and, and again i want to the the point is not to say hey we think this is a bad idea i think the really the constructive thing is to figure out okay you're making an awesome film let's figure out the best way to help you capitalize on that film right and so it made me think of also we get emails all the time from filmmakers who are like, hey, I want I want to talk about my movie on your show. And so the things that we personally respond to, we've talked about a couple times, but if you have a personal introduction, if you say, hey, Matt Norin, I love Just Shoot It. And I think that we should talk about this. I think you should talk about your film because it is exactly the sort of film that you typically talk about. I heard it in X, Y and Z, but here's yeah. a unique angle. My friend right? personalizing who- it who edited the, you know, a show you've talked about in the past, actually edited this movie, like all those things that you can kind of connect the dots for us is helpful. And also making it feel personalized so that it's not just a blind blast. It's not like, hey, everyone, check out this awesome film, right? Reaching out and saying, I think that this is right for you for these reasons, I think is part of it. I think the other thing, this film isn't out yet, but having external validators like tons of views, film festival awards, other things that make it, again, third parties vouching for the value of this film will not only help the film in terms of you trying to send it to this director or producer, but also just in general, everyone will be like, oh, this is so great. Look how many people must love it. It's been watched over 20 million times or 10,000 times or whatever. Like all of those other things I think are going to help put eyeballs on it. And I think unless this person is literally the very best person to help get this film made focusing on them exclusively. And I'm not saying that you're doing this at all, Cameron, but, but fixating on them, I think sometimes can be less helpful than it's worth, you know? Yeah. I just want to give two quick examples of like, I guess stories in this related to this that I know. So one is I have this project. We have an agency that is interested in representing it and, sending it out around town, but they want us to attach a meaningful name to be the lead actor before they do that. And so there is an actress that I thought would be awesome to be the lead in this thing. And um, I actually worked on a movie that she starred in. I was a visual effects artist and I know the producer and I know the director, obviously, since I worked on that movie. And also I have IMDb Pro, which anyone can get. And I have all the names and contact info of her reps i could get her personal contact info from the producer and director if i wanted to however i also know this guy that is a friend of hers and he's and i've worked with him before and as in the as a director and so i called him and i said hey can i show you this project here's the deck here's like the proof of concept we made i think your friend would be awesome as the lead of this would you mind you know, listening to it, like checking it out, reading the deck. And if you agree, passing it on to her and seeing if she would be interested in it. And he said, yeah, let me check it out. It took him three or four weeks. And mind you, this is a a producer I worked with. I was literally actively working with. (laughs) It still took him three to four weeks to just look at the stuff. And finally, we got in a call and he said, look, I love this. I'm going to show it to her. She's kind of busy right now. She's in another country filming a TV show. 
But next time I talk to her, I'm going to bring this up and see if she would be willing to listen to it, which she has not done yet. So I'm still kind of mid-story in real time. But my point is that even though I had so many different ways to contact her and so many different touch points to her, and I literally worked on a movie that she was in, none of those seemed like strong enough connections for me to just send her a script or send her a project directly. I had to wait till I found a different connection that seemed like A, he could vouch for me as a, as a director and an artist, and B, had a comfortable enough relationship with her that she can trust him to send her material to have this connection. So just having the contact info is, is quite worthless. Unless, I mean, look, you, you can do a Hail Mary. You can send something to this person and see what happens. But we've just very rarely heard of that going well. And so the other story I wanted to tell is actually a story Danny is going to tell us later in this podcast. But Alec Baldwin is one of the executive producers on Danny's movie. And that might not sound surprising. Danny worked on Thunder Road, uh, you know, Jim Cummings movie. And Jim Cummings knows everyone. Nicolas Cage is literally talking about how great Jim Cummings is, right? Between Jim and Danny and all the other people involved in Beast Beast, they know, you know, dozens or hundreds of very famous people that are very powerful in Hollywood. And if you take that one step further, like, oh, friends of friends, the network is even larger. It's huge. Right. Yes. But how did they get Alec Baldwin attached to Beast Beast? Was it through Nicolas Cage? Was it through Jim Cummings? Was it through calling the top agent at CAA and talking to Steven Spielberg? No, it was by playing at South by Southwest, having their short picked as I think a Vimeo a staff pick, and then having a producer that works with Alec Baldwin happen to see that staff pick and contacting Danny saying, hey, this movie is really good. We'd love to talk to you about what's happening with it. And then they had a meeting and just then Alec Baldwin came on to EP after, by the way, the train was already going, like the movie was already going to be made. Yeah. I, you know, uh, it's funny. I'm looking at, I'm sitting at my desk right now and I have one post-it note on a, the wall behind my monitor and the otherwise the, the wall is blank. And it just says, who is this a win for? And that is the question that you kind of have to ask yourself anytime you're reaching out to people. Right. Because unfortunately, bandwidth is scarce and and pe motivation is even more scarce. And so a high powered person has typically builds a scenario wherein they can take in new content and 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 development projects. And and otherwise their their walls are up because they're busy focusing on their own stuff. Right. Alec Baldwin is like, what's my next movie? Well, you know, how do I get things going? How do I stay relevant? All that stuff. Every all of the turmoil that we're all feeling all of the time, every other person is feeling, no matter how famous you are, right? Steven Spielberg is still cranking out movies trying to stay relevant, right? You know, he's not worried about his mortgage in the same way, but that's the small he is difference. Wasting time playing Candy Crush yeah, on yeah, the toilet. I hate myself so much. But so, but so, uh, <laughs> to that end, development people, it's their job to discover new things. You know, like the, the point of discovering things and then bringing it to their bosses. That's who typically a great piece of IP is a win for, right? Because the people at the top are busy executing on the backlog of projects that they, they're already trying to push up the mountain. They're already in some stage of development. They've already put some money in or things like that. So looking for those other people who, you know, having an awesome short film that they can show their boss... That's so much more powerful than 
basically anything else that you can do. So that's why like being friends with assistants who are trying to like prove themselves, that's the part of the networking and building a, a, a team of people that, that people sometimes overlook because they're looking at the top of the mountain when really you should be looking at that foundation because you're all going to rise together. Yeah. No. Amen to that. Anyhow, we should get to Danny. Before we get to Danny, I want to remind people we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash justshootitpod. It's a place where you can give a dollar, two dollars, four dollars, ten dollars a month, maybe twenty dollars a month to help support this podcast. If you feel like you are enjoying our guests, enjoying our opinions about filmmaking or our insight or our lack of insight, you just enjoy how wrong we are about things all the time and want us to keep doing it, then you can check it out. Patreon.com slash justshootitpod. If you give us 10 bucks, even just for one month, we will send you a Just Shoot It Pod hat, which I owe two hats. I'm going to mail them this week. Um, if you are interested in winning free stuff, Oren, did you know that if you go to Instagram.com slash Just Shoot It Pod and just merely follow and like our account, you are likely, not likely, but statistically more likely to win something free from Black Magic. We just gave away a Black Magic Pocket 4K camera. We gave away an ATEM switcher, which they're those those switchers are pretty cool and pretty expensive. We're giving thousands of dollars away worth of stuff. This week we are giving away a Pro Resolve Studio account. So if you're a user of Resolve, if you are uh, color grading things, you're, you're ingesting things, even if you're at Resolve, will edit things now. Dude, it even has, do you know about Fusion? They have like this, a, built-in node-based vfx package that's kind of like nuke-ish you know if you if you're into after effects and things like that that is just built right into resolve so there's so many awesome things about it it's pretty excellent and you can get your own free copy of the pro version of resolve again thousands of dollars worth of stuff if you go to instagram.com slash just shoot it pod take a look for the post that says like this post and if you are following us and you like that post, you will automatically be entered. If you want to enter twice, you can tag a friend. It's a pretty cool way to get some free stuff. We are giving away more cameras and more gear in the future. So it's a pretty low-cost investment. Yes. Stay tuned. And with that, on with the show. Hey, folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take, and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens. Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check them out. Let us know how it goes. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Congrats on the movie and on the release and all that stuff. So awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah, it feels good to, after this like particular pregnant pause. It feels so good to get it out. It feels it feel like we had an extra, extra incubation period. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're just making a lot, a lot of references to my wife. Yep. <laughs> Any day now. Any day. Well, so tell us about, tell us about Beast Beast. How did it come to be? It's your first di- movie that you directed, right? Mm-hmm. First feature. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd made a short film in 2017 in the summer called Krista. Uh, my brother and I. And is he a filmmaker also? Co-wrote this. Will is an actor, but th- this was a movie that was sort of a love letter to theater and sort of like tapped into like our sort of a shared experience with theater as well as his kind of further studies. And um, so we wrote this short film together. And Did you guys grow up? Sorry, to, sorry. I just, I've always yeah, yeah, dreamed yeah. of having a brother that would make movies with me and I don't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have two brothers. They don't want to make movies with me. Is yeah, that something yeah. you get like you like Duplass style? Like you guys grew up making. We uh, did. I don't know exactly stuff. the Duplass style, but if the Duplass, you know, if one of the older ones was looking at the younger ones saying like, hey, you want to be in the movie? Like we want we need someone to like fall down this set of stairs like you get to be in the movie. And then he's like, sure. You know, and then and then, you know, enough years of uh, of that kind of um you know, filmmaking abuse like sets in and then it's Stockholm syndrome and then he wants to be an actor and and luckily he just, you know, really has a natural uh, talent for it. And then he did high school drama and then went on and did a conservatory program at Boston University. And uh, Oh, cool. Are you guys yeah. from Massachusetts? We are from Georgia. We grew up in Georgia. Oh, cool. Oh. Yeah. We're boycotting you. 
Yeah. Well, you know, there's plenty, plenty of good and bad at anywhere you go, sure. I guess. I think Danny is as well. He's here in Los Angeles. So I am here in Los Angeles now. <laughs> you left Georgia. Yes, I've lived in a whole lot of places since, yeah, yeah. since Georgia 15 years ago. Well, so tell us a little bit about Beast Beast just to kind of set the table here. Yeah. So it's so the short film Krista is about this girl in her theater class kind of using a scene study as catharsis for trauma that happens in her life. And then um, through that process, we found Shirley Chen, lead actress, in an open call. We were filming at their high school. And she was very much like on the level of people we want to be working with. You know, just like really that kind of dedication, that kind of like follow through and just like bringing bringing ideas, like variations to every take and pushing it. And Was just this a high school in L.A.? It is. It's called LOXA. Okay, so it's like a acting high school. Yeah, yeah. yes, exactly. exactly. It is important to to note Loxa is a public school. Yes, so it's it's just like it's a feeder, but it's not like Crossroads. It's like a rich kid private right. school that but it's like osha right the orange focus. county high school for the arts and it's not like the lead actress from eighth grade that just like went to some random high school and like didn't even right no 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 her... she moved down surely moved down here from washington when she was a kid with her mom like to pursue acting she had been professionally acting right she had like two little spots on tv shows and then mostly just the high school theater stuff and but she was just incredible just kind of like a you know the spark is there and and so anyway so we came out of that out of that process, feeling good, feeling like we had found a sort of filmmaking language that we liked. We liked the idea of this sort of kind of flashing back and, and like um, sort of uh, weaving these experiences together and what she was doing in the sort of documentary feeling of it. Um, I do animation as well. So I come from a very storyboard centric kind of uh, production method. So I, I really like to know the puzzle in, in previs, like just knowing how each shot kind of is going to connect into the next. So with Krista, it was sort of an experiment in this way of like, no, let's film it. Let's just have a rough idea of the shots we need. And yeah, so anyway, we felt good about Krista and then went off with the team to make Thunder Road down in Austin, Texas. Wait, so did Krista, did anything happen with? So I was finishing Krista and our our team went to Thunder, to Austin, did Thunder Road. Um, I creative directed Thunder Road, which is basically like Jim is on screen for almost every shot. So like. You need someone on monitor kind of giving like notes to art and camera and kind of like some, throwing some performance suggestions wait, wait, in there. Wait, wait, What is this? So Jim directed Thunder Road, but you are giving notes on art and camera and stuff? From well, I, I, I'm there to – Jim and I have been working together for like over a decade. So we know each other's taste. We've always helped each other out. So when it came time for him to do his like first big feature, he wanted like a – kind of trusting like director yeah he needs uh, somebody to make sure on the monitor a, there's not a to, boom in the to be like when we have 30 people yeah. standing around and he's got and he's got like water on him and shit and they're like do we reset or do we move on and he looks through the crowd and i like give a thumbs up and it's like okay cool we got like that's good we, we're moving on you know so just wait and, and, but there's an ad as well right you're not like we not an didn't ad quite we had an ad for a couple days of of thunder road but right but the safe hands is i think is what we're talking about basically it's not unlike producers Have you had that like, before matt you're talking about it like it's such a standard thing oh right? no it's not as i was about to elaborate it's not a standard thing but I, you know as a producer when my wife is directing she's oftentimes in front of the camera as well and so I will take on that role of just kind of like you keep an eye on things, you know, y- you can help say like, oh, I, you know, I have a hunch of like, I think you're going to want it again. Or like, I think you've got it. Come take a look or, you know, right, it's, right. It's, it is a, a very particular 
role that isn't especially defined and i'm sure it's different for every yeah role. yeah so we just called it creative director was the yeah. term we can you know it's director support it's sort of like just making sure the ship is moving in the direction we want it to be right you know? and that can be in the form of a scripty or that can be in the form of a producer that can be in the form of an ad uh, I think oftentimes yeah. I, I definitely wasn't doing uh, AD stuff though. Like sure, there was sure, like, sure. Well, we, we had that for a couple of days and then we had, our producers are really good at covering those things. So it was really just like, as far as like the creative task of like what the direction of the movie is like just helping, helping Jim out with that. But are you doing stuff like, sorry, sorry, yeah. we're digging yeah, yeah, in yeah. on this. I, I just find it fascinating. Yeah. Like how cool it would it be if I was like on a commercial set and I had like a friend that I trusted just behind the monitor, like just helping me out. Well, but uh, yeah, it's I, hold on, yeah. hold on. Yeah, but you you have had that before, right? That is what like in a creative director oftentimes does. They like swing by. They're like, oh, I like this, or oh, I think you need one more. You know, like yeah. when Blake from Sawhorse is on set, it's a similar sort of situation, wouldn't you say? Maybe Blake from Sawhorse, but most times the creative the agency is like separated from the director you know they're like in video village their own village you're doing your thing the ad you're like are they good are we good to move on like it's not like you're all you have a buddy and you're like this mind meld creative you know unit that's like doing cool things like um, like and and obviously jim's acting too so i get that but are you is there a, a situation where you're like jim you came off like a little mean in that like you maybe you want to try one just to have it mm-hmm. that's like a little oh, yeah. lighter. Yeah, like often, you would do often. It was like, like oh, yeah, that wasn't funny enough. And he'd be like, all right. And then we'd like turn it around and go, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, but Ben, Ben, you guys know Ben Wiesner, producer of that. And he was our lead producer on Beast Beast as well. He and Jim and I have been like a trio for like many years. We've been making stuff under the name Ornana and just like little short films and stuff here and there. So we, the, the three of us like really have a, a kind of shorthand and a trust. So, so anyway, so we were down in Austin. We made that movie. It was a really good for me. It was a sort of like scrimmage, right? For directing a movie of that size, that size crew. We're all living in the same house. It's this kind of summer. If camp you vibe. fuck up, it's all Jim's fault anyway. It's all That's yeah, perfect. no responsibility. Yeah, yeah this is That's Jim's great. name at the top. Yeah. Um, but no, so that that obviously felt really good leaving. And then I drove back with Ben, who was living in North Carolina at the time, and we just had this long chat, kind of debriefing about it. And he's like. Hey, look, it feels like a repeatable act. It feels like we could we could put something like this together, another cheap movie, do this. And he's like, you're on deck. Like, you're up next. You've been making these shorts for 10 years and it's time. And, and at the time, I was finishing Krista, the short, and I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of enjoying what we've discovered in that, in that language and that sort of cinema voice. And uh, maybe I'll start thinking along those lines. So starting to develop a, a feature idea from that. And then the film got accepted to South by Southwest. And so then I thought, Sorry, all right, which, which film you mean? Krista, 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 the short Krista. Film. Okay, great, great. So, and then I said, okay, well now that's in three months. Why don't I, uh, I will force myself to have a first draft of the script by the festival. And, and the thinking there is like, oh, if I meet someone, if someone's like, oh, I love this, Danny, what's next? Yeah. Do you have a good Yeah, answer? the phrase I used was in case anybody gives a shit about this movie. Well, we, we can turn around and go, oh, here we go. Yeah. So <laughs> what a great um, mantra to have a, over your desk. I mean, it's good, good to, you know, (laughs) to be prepared, you know? um, Wait, and so just, uh, you've said a couple times like that you found this like new language or approach in Krista compared to your previous work. What, what is, can you be more specific? Just as far as like, like going in and allowing the actors to just like play and then capturing it, like having more of like a documentary feeling, like kind of long lens, a lot of foreground stuff happening, like allowing like a looseness 
and, and like a discovery element of it and also not knowing exactly how it's going to edit together which is typically the process for me like usually you know like it's going to cut when she grabs this vase right, and throws right, it on right. floor we're going to cut to this and then the feet are going to walk in whatever yeah but because like with, with animation and stuff over the years that that's always like made a lot of sense to me like that kind of that kind oh, of holistic approach to like what cinema cinematic yeah, i heard you had your yeah. camera set to 12 frames per second when so, you were shooting Krista, <laughs> yeah, that just true? to get the stop motion feel yeah yeah sometimes um, four if he's feeling really lazy yeah for feeling uh, a little, uh, a little wait so so you're shooting it like kind of you're basically it's handheld and the operator just kind of does the dance with the actors and yeah well i like to operate with 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 this kind of thing that we were doing i was like i like to kind of find it as we're going i know that i'm going to be editing it so it's like i'm making edit decisions while i'm operating the camera and you know when you get something nice you can kind of like do and do a little pan around because you're like oh that's going to be the moment right there and you're already pacing it out you know at live you know while it's happening how how frequently are you were you right in that in those decisions do you know what I mean? Like, like, cause I feel like so often I'll be on set and I'll be like, that's the take or like, we'll cut there. I don't need the end of it or whatever. And then in the edit, I'm like, God, why didn't I finish this strong? Interesting. I thought I was going to cut and then I didn't. And now I can't use this take, which I think was perfect. <laughs> you know what I mean? Did you find yourself in that situation or no? I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's always part of the process. You're always, you're always second guessing yourself or trying different things in, in, in post or, or I feel like I am, but but no, if something like really thrills me on the day, if we're getting the actor to go somewhere that I'm like, oh, wow, something's really like breaking through, you know, there's something shining through here. I, I um, want to go back just a, a tiny bit to talk a, a little bit about your approach uh, as it relates to animation, because I think this is really fascinating. Basically, I, it sounds like what you're saying, and I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit more. You're saying because animation is so controlled, it's not that there's no spontaneity, but that the, the spontaneity is in slow motion, right? As you're discovering things, it takes, you know, however long it takes you to do a drawing or set keyframes or whatever, right? Like it, in, 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 a, in a way, motion, right? Yeah, in, in a way, it, it, it's more more. What I'm talking about is like in animation, you do post production before pre before production. You're making edit decisions. You're deciding what happens when and why. You're you know? saying so like I, in an animatic, for instance, right? You're, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so typically I've done films before where I'll do an animatic of the movie, even if it's in live action, you know, and I'll do it and I'll pace it out and I'll cut it so that I know and the team knows as we step in, hey, don't worry about, you know, X, Y or Z, because this shot is three and a half seconds long and we're going to be moving like this. So everyone, everyone's on the same page with that. I just find that it like really galvanizes the crew it, like to know what the movie is before we start going. But know? with Beast Beast and, and Krista, you're saying that you kind of rebelled against that sort of... Yeah. Yeah. I was I was trying something else. And then it became sort of like a, a, a necessary tactic if we're going to shoot this movie that has whatever it is, 60, 70 locations in 18 days. It became like, that's the way we're going to be able to pull this that's off. That's the only way to pull it off. Yeah. So it gave me a little confidence in that way. Separate from the logistics of it, what excited you when you had that aha moment of like, oh, this is how the movie works? Was it was it freeing that you didn't have to worry about storyboarding every single beat? What like on an artistic level, what excited you about it? No, it was more kind of itchy on my on my like control freak personality like i i would rather have those pre-thought things because that's oh, what i appreciate yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in film i like a nice crafted sequence and where everything's deliberate and, and feels really good but 
Um, in this case, in particular, it just felt like performances from young people who haven't been in a movie before and like really like peeling back an authenticity in that experience. That's what what was like the sort of goal for this one. That was the the uh, directive. You know, that's what we were going after. When you are operating, do you have a DP also? Yep. Mm-hmm. And does your DP not care that you're operating? It's it's a conversation when it when it came to the feature we had that conversation up front, you know, before we hired a DP, we, we, we brought in this guy, Christian Zuniga. And I said, Hey, here's the short, you know, I operated most of it. And then he said, that's very cool. He goes, sometimes I like working with an operator so I can sit back on, on monitor and just focus on light and exposure and give composition notes and stuff like that. And I was like, great. But he's like, he's like, it's actually really a relief that you know exactly what you want. So now we're not dicking around all day. Like, you know, searching for what the framing is and stuff. It's like, I just jump in there and I do the thing. And then, you know, our, our, our dear AC has to just kind of like keep up on the, all these long lens things where I'm going like, here's, here's a fun little technical thing. I kept going beyond minimum focus, like, like getting too close to the actors with like an 80 millimeter lens. And so we had this code cause I, we were just doing these long takes just running just to try and get these moments. And so our AC would, would um, spin the wheel back and forth to sort of click it as like a Morse code of like, so if I heard like the, you know, the follow focus clicking, I knew I was too close and then I would step back and then it would, this clicking would stop. So it was like, it, it was a fun little like code there, but, but I think Christian really dug the idea of me and, and he operated a lot of it too. There's a lot of, um, one of the characters has a lot more controlled camera move stuff. It's a little bit more what that character is about. And so he has, there's a little bit more dolly stuff, a little bit more kind of composed zoom things. And Christian operate a lot of that stuff because those sorts of things were less sort of discovery in the moment kind of scenes. You guys have a really unique way of making films. I mean, you're directing the director, you're operating the camera. <laughs> Jim Cummings records the entire uh, movie as a podcast before he shoots it. Well, yeah. Uh, well, 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 I, I mean, it's, it's like what makes sense and, and what also do we have the technology to do? We didn't slate on this movie. Because I was like, it's, I was like, we're in the 21st century. We have a little magical box that you click on the camera and you clip to the, the sound guy and you sync by time code, by time of day. And I'm like, cool, then you could do that. And if things get, you know, a little wonky in post, you can follow the, like, the waveforms, you know, you can lock things together. So I said, so what, what are we doing here with the slate? These, these people don't, have never been on a film set before. It's, it's really intimidating and it takes them out of the moment to be doing these like, you know, all right, hold on everyone. All right, Mark, Mark, like scene one, take, you know, it's like, it took them out of it. And I was like, I'd rather be right inside there hitting, pressing record with my thumb whenever we're ready to go. And then I can stop it and lean in and say, you know, and, and I, and I think the crew, I think the crew got pretty energized on that. And again, like if any of them are listening and they're like, no, we hated that, then I'm sorry. But, but it was, it maybe was an extra 20, 30 minutes on the end of the day for Mari Walker, who was our DIT sort of um, assistant editor, assembling it all and syncing it. But it's like, that makes more sense. And I had conversations with her about like, hey, look, 30 minutes in the end of your day is actually much better than like the accumulative like 15, 20 minutes that we would spend slating, you know? Yeah, I'm just picturing your conversation with the line producer at the end of the movie. You're like, okay, how much did we save by not getting that slate? Like, uh, that was a $25 <laughs> rental. Yeah, yeah. the slate, yeah. <laughs> well, and D- Danny, did you edit this one as well? So I did, I, we had a nice long, I like to take my time on the edits. We had a nice long process. I did the assembly in a few months. Uh, we brought in a filmmaker named David Brundage to help me for a few months, crack open some of the problem scenes and really bring a fresh perspective. Then it was back on my lap for a while. And then we brought in another filmmaker called Pete O's 
who helped me kind of land land the plane edit wise and really helped. My uh, point being, it. it's kind of your problem organizationally, so right? Certainly, certainly. In terms yeah. of like, oh, if there's no slate, it's a little hard to like maybe scrub through things, but you know the footage backwards and yeah. forwards anyway. And again, I'm like, we're here today. This, yeah, is, yeah. this is what counts. You know, yeah, that's great. And um, what did you do about sound? Was it sound just rolling the whole time? Yeah, sound. I mean, we had that conversation up front and they were they were excited about this kind of different different process. And uh, I would just kind of give a give a wink to the to the boom op. And he was like, all right, yeah, we're going. And they just kind of they kept extra organized with it. And they were just like kind of kind of up for the challenge, you know. And what camera were you shooting on? um alexa mini you, with zoom lenses or just um with uh no primes yeah yeah and one camera one camera so back to we have krista the short film we're going to south by southwest 2018 with the with a rough draft of beast beast saying if in case anyone gives a shit about it we will you know say and when hey. you say we uh it it's says, the, the team it's me my brother it's jim it's ben we, we kind of move as one right mm-hmm. um, it's a swarm of vanishing a, angle folks but you swarm. wrote the script i did yeah yeah so we do south by southwest thunder road premieres as well that gets like the trophy the big like prize and then krista also got a couple awards that night as well so we were pretty like excited walking down the street afterward uh me jim and ben and just kind of like, like shaking your um, we were, <laughs> trophies in the air. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely Champagne not. You popping. lost a couple. You're like, ah, it's fine. We've got extras. <laughs> we're walking down the sidewalk and thinking like, okay, well, what's next? What, what happens next? And Jim goes, well, you got the script for the new one for the feature. And he goes, why don't we just, and part of it was um, Vimeo gave it a quote staff pick award. It was the first time they were doing this. They pick a movie. The next day it goes online as a staff pick premiere. So that was part of that whole deal. So Jim was like, hey, the movie comes out tomorrow. Why don't we do a Kickstarter tonight? And, and get it live <laughs> for when the movie comes out tomorrow at noon yeah. and announce the feature. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then we started laughing, of course. And then there was a silence for a couple steps. And we were like, shit, we're doing that tonight, aren't we? So I mean, do you ever like think to yourself, like, I'm kind of tired right now. I don't want to <laughs> yeah, just yeah. make a whole like, Kickstarter I, campaign. I thought we were just going to get a couple drinks at the Driscoll. Well, and, well, like, this, is, well, well this is the thing is like when you're, when you're high is like making things, you know, it was like that was our way of celebrating. Right. It was yeah. like it was take yeah. that energy and funnel it right into the next thing. And that so was your moment from Titanic where you're just like on the front with your arms out. Like, <laughs> and then, yeah. And then you're like, let's go down to the bottom it. decks and shovel coal to keep the <laughs> engines moving. Yeah. So we all drank like Topo Chico's and, you know, LaCroix at the wrap at the closing night party and then went back and, and Jim and Ben brewed a pot of coffee and I bought 15 Whataburgers and we went and like stayed up all night with the you crew. You were of, hungry. Of, of Thunder Road and everyone. Yeah. Well, there were a lot of us. And um, and we stayed up all night. We shot the video and we, you know, pieced the thing together. We had the like footage from that night from the award thing and all this. Like just like iPhone footage? Well, yeah. People had filmed like the actual award ceremony and stuff. So we just like cut that right into the video. So the next day got it approved by Kickstarter at like 9 a.m. And then boom, the page was live by the time it went like the movie was out on Vimeo. I'm curious so, who the lowest person on the totem pole of your rat pack is. Like who's the person? At that, that point, like, we had a few a few friends. Mikey, people, go get the coffees. Well, we people, don't care what people who you became got. friends. Like, like there was like Maggie Noble was a PA on Thunder Road. She just like came down from uh, like Missouri. She just drove down to Austin when we were making the movie. She was like, I'm going to work on this. We we're like, all right. So she kind of got into the fold. So she's, you know, cut to, you know, the, the this night and she's kind of like, all right, well, let me like look online for some photos and I'll help. You know, she was helping Ben like draft up the Kickstarter, like, you know, tiers of like rewards or whatever. 
And um, so we stayed up, launched that. So basically announced the movie and said, we're asking for 10 grand for like pre-production funds. And just to more so just to announce the thing, start, make it real. And and also maybe, you know, build an email list, you know, just kind of like, you know, you've got like, uh, how do you capitalize on the momentum of a Vimeo staff pick and all of this stuff? but not make it totally bonkers, right? Yeah, I love that. What did you end up ultimately raising? It, it was about 20 grand from a 10, 10K kind of uh, goal. So that was great because then that meant also, this is sorry, real and here we go. This is an important crowdfunding question. Ballpark, like what percentage of that money came from first degree connections, right? Like friends, family, people that you know, basically versus strangers. Yeah, I think that's usually the majority of it. But with something like this, you know, Jim had this following and Jim has the whole Twitter thing at this point. Um, So he's blasting it out. So this was the one that we had done that got the most kind of stranger donations, you know. And so anyway, so that we just kind of announced it and we planted the flag. We wanted Shirley Chen, our same actress in the lead role, and she was going to college in August. So we said, okay, we're filming this movie in early August in Georgia, in my hometown. We're going to go back there and film it. And that's when Alec Baldwin was like, uh, excuse me, I would like to play the lead role. I would. <laughs> and you're like, uh, get your no, brother Shirley out of here. Jen. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be Shirley. Um, so they saw it because we kind of let it out on, you know, we did the whole Vimeo thing. Casey Bader, who's Alec Baldwin's producing partner, saw it and then they they sort of you know he kind of curates 10 or so shorts every few weeks and he and alex sit down and watch them and they you know the the way that they describe it is like we just find filmmakers who we like and then we'll set up a general and figure out a feature with them and so by the time i did a general with them it was like hey we're gearing up to go make this thing for whatever you know pennies we can scrape together we're gonna go film it at my mom and dad's house in georgia and if you guys want to jump in, jump in. And they did. Wait, and where is this general? Like at, in Soho at like Alec Baldwin's it, No, this something? was on Skype. Remember Skype? Remember uh, pre <laughs> his old, oh, yeah. old Zoom? Is that part of like a AOL instant messenger? It was, yes, exactly. Yeah, when you signed on, it tells you how much mail you have. And uh, so we just did that. And then I was kind of, I swung through New York and met Casey on my way to Georgia. And we kind of like, I don't know, just kind of sealed the deal in that way. And then... Uh, so Casey came down and helped Wait, us. So on, what was the deal? Were they going to help finance it? Or yeah, what? they helped round out the funds, which were, you know, small, small stakes kind of investment for them. Can and, you give um, us, uh, not to get too brass tacks, but coming out of Thunder Road, right? Like you said, that's a quote unquote cheap movie. Are we talking in that same ballpark? Like yeah, what? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like less, like, like well under the ultra low budget sag standard sure. yeah sag ultra low budget's 350 i think right yeah so yeah, yeah. definitely well under yeah that. well well under that uh yeah so then they were then they were on board and that helped you know that helped like the prestige that helped that was as we were crewing up in atlanta we were uh that news broke which was which was really nice because it kind of uh again it, it just like that that sort of thing gives people a little bit more faith in in a project that is you know being run by people that they like you know may probably haven't heard of you know and how so you're on this hot streak you're traveling all over the country how are you supporting yourself like are you picking up side jobs is it savings like yeah like what because i think that's an important thing for people to understand right it's like it's okay if your indie movies don't necessarily keep you afloat or that that they're long-term investments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When that no, money definitely, does come in, it takes a while. Not. Yeah, right? that was not the case here. Yeah. Um, I mean, for, for me, I'm always I, – I do the math in my head about like payment on, on freelance stuff 
uh, like how that equates to time. You know, if I take this sound design job, I can pay rent for two and a half months. Or if I do this animation gig, that buys me three months, you know? And so I'll do that. And then I'll... I'll... Wait, how many things do you do? Sound design, animation, directing, editing, creative directing, um, art department. Directing. I like art department a lot. I'll, I'll help. I'll kind of like help friends, like people who have production designed like movies that I've directed. I'll be like, hey, if you ever need like an art PA or a set dresser or something, let me know. Because I, I just I like to be on set and, and like... Sometimes it's like really nice to go like scoop up $250 for a day of loading boxes and stuff. So yeah. Rigging crew ever do like, no, not so much, not so much when you get like, um, I've done, yeah, I mean a a little bit of everything for sure, but I I tend to gravitate more towards like art department, sound and animation. Gotcha. So you're just kind of like fielding those catch as catch can basically. And then, and then those jobs come from, because I've just put a lot of work online over the years and Vimeo has been really supportive of those. And so that work gets out. So people will reach out like the last freelance job I did, like during the pandemic, it was like such a life raft for me to have animation, the animation skill set. Cause then those things come in and then it's like, Oh great. That's kind of helped, you know, climb out of the year and a half of post-production on beast beast. That sort of like puts you into a certain amount of debt and then it's like, okay, this was the thing that like helped climb out of that. So. And so I, I think that's so helpful for people though, because like, it's a thing where you're cultivating all these skills, making movies, and then, you know, get leveling up in other ways as you're doing client work. And it's kind of this big cycle. And I think that sometimes there's this mentality of like, once I'm a director, that's all I do. And that's all, however, I, that I'll, I've made it and that's that. And, you know, and I think that there's... There's some reality to that, but then, you know, sometimes that means that you end up directing things that you don't, that you aren't as passionate about. And it's a little harder to kind of like maybe detach from or things like that. Yeah. I've only been hired, hired as a director a few times in my life. You know what I mean? I've, I've hired myself as a director a lot, you know, but, you know, so, but um, yeah, I don't know, but I like that. I like to learn, like in the same way that I learned on, on set for Thunder Road, I, we turned around and I, I sound designed thunder road and just like and was like okay cool now we're in post-production we're kind of making these decisions together and like here i am really like uh dissecting the edit of this and seeing how all those things came together and working with jim through those weeks and months of of post-production as well so yeah for me i just i just like to to like examine every part of of the process you know and if i can kind of like get my little hands in there and play around and Jim trusts me to like bring taste to these things, you know. I'm not like a Pro Tools wizard or anything, but I can cut sound on on Premiere, and then you know, and then hand that off to a sound mixer who knows how to like really clean it up and and add that polish and sort of relationships between sounds together. So yeah, I don't know. I, I just like enjoy it all, you know. Can do you mind just giving us the logline real quick? Yeah, so it's a story of like it's basically like three young people in a southern town, like with interweaving stories. You know, there's like a first love and petty crime and gun violence, and it's sort of like the way these characters smash into each other. You know, and the rippling effects of that of their intersection. And where did you draw those from? Like, are they from personal experiences or people you know? Or yes, yeah, so, I mean, some of it, some of it's thoughts, and some of it's news articles or conversations I've had, or you know, or also like books. I'm a big John Steinbeck fan so he has these books like you know tortilla flat and cannery row that are sort of um setting based it's like it's about this place and then we learn about this place at this time through these vignettes of characters so that's always something that has like inspired me a lot i really enjoy stories like that i'm curious because you knew you had three months basically to write this script did you find it 
easier to approach as like three different stories that yes. kind of match absolutely and especially because i've never like finished a feature script before so basically these three different storylines are like the bones of dead films from years gone by you know say like, oh i kind of wanted to make a movie about this kid or, or about this like kind of person's kind of want to be like youtube influence you know it's like well let's kind of take a couple of those things and mash them together and see if they fit in the same world yeah, I love that. I think also part of what I think a creative process can be just like, oh, what are two disparate things that I'm obsessed with? What happens when I smush them together? What color yeah, does that become? Yeah. You know, and you know what? I, I, I was very inspired. I don't think Shape of Water was like my favorite movie, but I was so inspired walking out of that theater thinking no one else would make that movie. That is very specifically like four or five things that this that this guy is obsessed with. And he somehow like smashed them all together and only one person would make that movie and that was like that was a thrill you know i think creature to be from fair, the black i made that movie and uh... yeah 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 <laughs> it makes sense no i think creature from the black lagoon is hornier than we realized is oh, what i'm really saying i think that yeah. it is kind of like about it's quite like sexual and about like predatory behavior and like forbidden fruit and all that stuff i think that's yeah, the yeah. black lagoon but uh as children just watching monster movies i don't think you get that yeah just like that oh, felt very the last time i watched black lagoon i i got real jurassic park feelings from it oh interesting i was like yeah. oh yeah like just the way it's kind of structured and, and the way it i'll kind of like plays out i was like oh okay it's, i see it's yeah. hard to swim in that suit but there is <laughs> but there is val like it's interesting what you're saying about how that is just such a specifically guillermo del toro type of film yeah um, yeah, it's all those things that he's so interested in and has kind of mined. Yeah, and and then you get cats. something really unique. You yeah, know? he yeah he loves the creature from the Black Lagoon rom coms, but he hates cats. And <laughs> anyway, like, yeah, yeah. Enough <laughs> riffing about a, a movie from a couple of years ago. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I do love that philosophy though, right? And so so it sounds like the, there's a couple of techniques that come up on the show over and over again. You gave yourself a deadline, also, right? Like you had South by going. And then also, you know, you had accountability in that Kickstarter campaign, right? You're like, hey, everyone, I'm going to make a movie. Ugh, they Did gave you spend, me a little bit of money. You must have I'd spent better. like two or three weeks being like, okay, how do I get this 20 grand back to these people? That's them <laughs> that this no, that's, that's not the working. beauty of donation-based giving. How about that? No, uh, um, I, I think for me, it's set the deadline. But, but also with the Kickstarter video, I found myself talking about the film out loud for the first time. So I think that has been a big lesson for me in the sort of crowdfunding things over the years. You find out how to articulate what the movie is to people who have nothing to do with it. Yeah, you, you're forced to pitch it basically to right, strangers exactly. and not movie people. They're not they're not studio executives or whatever. You can't just be like, well, it's kind of this meets that. Yeah, that's not going to work on Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. One last question go. before production is once. You get someone like Alec Baldwin involved or his company. Do you have a, an urge to say like, hey, Alec, can you call uh, Tina Fey and see if she'll do a cameo? I mean, I know I know, maybe tonally that's not the right thing. Right, right, right. And there was there was actually talk for a second. We had we had some it was a last minute casting for my brother's my brother's character as a stepfather who's a, kind of a bigger role in the movie. And we had some trouble like casting that. That was down to the wire. And there was a moment where Alec was like, oh, I wish I could come down there. Like my schedule's not... And I just thought about it and I was like, look, this is a movie with three leads who it's like their first time in a movie each. I was like, anyone recognizable in this film as a secondary character is going to be, is going to throw us right out of the, 
if we're able to create any kind of reality right oh know, sure it's sure. like we're gone, the kind of docu you know? style world you're yeah yeah it should be people captured. that you don't recognize with a jim cummings cameo for for the indie film fans of the world so and then does also, he play a police officer <laughs> yeah yeah i mean he might He's he might have brought up. his cop uniform down to georgia so yeah, keep yeah. An eye out while, he's while got some watching. screaming and some crying to do too yeah um also if alec baldwin's in your movie all of a sudden you know you're twenty thousand plus whatever he put in you're like well, well fuck do we have to get a trailer for alec like <laughs> right or well that's Airbnb part of the thing too that's part of the conversation like, is is he's like yeah. look I'll, we want to put in on this but he's like explain to me how you're gonna make a movie for this little uh, you know so i had to tell yeah. him hey we're filming his car like, costs more money than your movie right right well exactly exactly and, and and i'm like well this is mom and dad's house where they're putting up the actors where we're filming at the school where my mom works and like the other and all the other locations are like friends all the extras are neighbors you know and just say, explaining how homegrown the whole thing is going to be. Did you? So you've done this a couple times at this point, right? You've been doing all these shorts. You know, you're you're kind of like rolling with this crew. Did you ever have a thought of like, ah, uh, wouldn't it be nice to have enough money to pay everybody to do this or slow down a little bit, or was it just purely like this is my homegrown movie and I fucking love it? Yeah, that I mean, that's the thing. And again, coming off of Thunder Road, it was so fun to have that experience and say, this is what that's going to be. This is going to be the 12 person crew. We're all camping out in this, you know, in this house together and we're making breakfast together and everyone's just head like on the project at all times, helping each other out. And I'm like, that's what it was. And I, and I, I love that. It wasn't, it wasn't like, let's compare this to some other hypothetical filmmaking scenario. It's like, let's, let's just, this is what it is. And this is what we get to do. And maybe we have to shoot our climactic scene on day three when I don't really know what the movie is yet. And it's my, my brother's character's like big moment and he's coming in. It's his first day on production, <laughs> you know, and you're like, okay, well, we're, this is the way it has to be because this is, we got this free location and this is the one night that we can have it. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you ever feel like, okay, you've got a 12 person crew. Are you ever like, well, fuck, can we like shoot a couple more days? Right. If it costs so little, right. No, but even that, even that it was just like, this is what we have. This is like what the size of the container was, you know, and, and Ben Wiesner, who was kind of doing the main brunt of all of that, like kind of like figuring out was like, this is what we get. And then we, we managed to squeeze like a day of pickups in where myself and Austin English, our AC and Christian Zaniga DP got to cruise around and do some like car exteriors and just some of the locations. And so that was really so helpful. Always recommend that, you know, to do was that. Was that part of the plan from the beginning or was that no. just like, oh, uh-huh. oh, okay, gotcha. Wait, did you go back to Georgia? We were still, it was while we were still in Georgia. Yeah, it was like gotcha. a couple days after we wrapped. So Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, that's like, if you want to give scope to a movie, like you can't not do that. I mean, even, you know, Robert Evans and the kid stays in the picture. Have you guys read that book? He talks about, I did it for the graduate. They're like, this movie sucks. And then they like sent like a B-roll unit to like, boston wherever they shot that and got a bunch of footage and they're like wow oscar winning <laughs> like like literally it like there's a lot it's of how like, you nice let a movie car, car driving up and down california and like moments like that yeah. if you're paying attention though i feel like a couple times he's going the wrong way oh um, yeah they flip oh, the footage because he's got no 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 he's going like you just know if you know like oh the ocean's on the left side <laughs> he's supposed to be going up to northern yeah, california yeah, yeah. He's, he's taking the one on one. He's, he's yeah. not going north. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the shot yeah. is better that way. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Something we hear all the time, actually not on this podcast, but from like kind of know it alls in our lives, is that if you want to 
I'm right uh, here, Oren. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I forgot Matt was here. If if you want to lower the budget, lower the number of locations. And you said you have like 60 locations. I'm one of those people that's like, give me as many locations and as many extras as possible. Like the exact opposite of what producers want. I think all three of us are on the same page, actually. Like if you don't have any gear and you don't have any people, then like loading in and out shouldn't be as gnarly as when you've got a circus, you know? Where that really came from for me was I was definitely scared of having a movie that just like felt stale. There are so many movies that are working on this kind of micro budget where it's like, oh, you keep going back and the whole movie just takes place between like two locations. And I, I think it just makes me very tired in a way. And I'm like, okay, I understand, you know. So I think it's like maybe, a chore to watch those movies. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe out of self consciousness, I just kept writing all these new characters and and uh, and different scenes and stuff, which then meant you have a day player coming in to play the principal, for example, and she's great, but you need to like teach her the tone of the movie, like. You know, and so that's a part of the process that you have to put in as well as filming everything else that day. You know, you have to take that time to like let these people know what kind of movie they're in. You know, how how do you do that? How do you teach someone the tone um, of the just, movie? Just there? conversations, conversations with them and, and uh, questions about like where a lot of people are used to doing television work and stuff like that. And then you can say, hey, look, this isn't quite that kind of feeling Let, let's turn down the sort of like like the laugh track doesn't go here We're yeah 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 so yeah there's just different different ways of finding it but i think i mean actors are used to jumping in and out of different feelings like that yeah you know? well, well let me ask though because you said you've got so many uh characters and things and, and this is just like you know it's a such a perfect example of what i like to refer to as the hometown feature right the like the literally staying at your mom and dad's house i think is it's just like it's such a, a smart way to to jump into things. But oftentimes that means that you're casting people who this is maybe their first time in front of the camera. Maybe they've done community theater or they've always wanted to or something like that, but they're not. Yeah, but this is Atlanta, used. right? But also, oh, yeah, point. but also yeah, Atlanta's got a pretty, pretty great scene. And there are a lot of people, there's this phenomenon of like, you know, quote, local casting, which means like, oh, you don't have to pay the extra thing to get them in. So people, we've had some actors from Tennessee, Virginia, uh, Louisiana, who who are you know quote Atlanta locals because they can come up and crash with a friend while they're filming so they put their name in so it, it's not extra cost for the production so we had a few people who I found out way after um, a couple of our actors flew from L A and and came out so they they didn't make any money because they flew out from L A to to day play on this movie and then flew back it was basically the price of the ticket but they were like it was worth it to like be in the movie for the second great credit you know, stuff so. yeah I actually I did a, a commercial a, a while ago where that was the case actually and we didn't find we were like oh yeah where are you where where do you live or whatever and he was like nashville and we were like wait what we are not in nashville this is far yeah i love that i love that so but yeah that's the trick if you grow up in a marketplace where there's a ton of actors then it's a lot easier yeah. to kind of dial well it wasn't that wasn't the marketplace when i was growing up we were we were the weird kids who made movies and now we went back in into in part of the hometown thing is uh, ben talked to a uh, producer, Ben talked to the school board uh, and there was a woman who's kind of running the arts program and he basically bartered us to use the school. We filmed four full days in the school with auditorium, cafeteria, hallways, all that exteriors in exchange for a day of classes that my brother and I would teach after we wrapped. So we went around and taught like, you know, the middle school where my mom works. We taught a few classes there and then went back to our high school and taught classes there where kids, there's a screenwriting course, there's an animation course, all these things that we were the weirdos in high school, whenever that was like 
15 years ago. And now it's like, that's commonplace because the industry moved in and all their parents work in it. And there's like, people see it as job potential now. And then at the end they go, uh, we were just kidding. You didn't have to teach those but, classes. Yeah. You could just <laughs> use like, the school. It's no big deal. Danny, we, we watched your movies actually. And uh, yeah. you're not allowed around. Uh, you can't kids. be around. Yeah. 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 This is not good. Um, no. So that was, that was really cool. And, but that definitely, um, that's a great move for any kind of, uh, the, the the hometown movie as you say like just going around it and doing that and there was one day there's a there's a police kind of crime scene moment and we had a couple of those you know black collared shirts that say police on it and so i ran around it was one of our off days we were just filming it with like a handy cam to kind of uh mimic like news news footage so we had a couple of our actors who were just staying at that house where so we put up some police tape and i went and knocked at a couple neighbors doors and i said hey what's up like hey jp like you got a pair of khakis He's like, yeah, I'm like, put those on, come over here. We're going to put a shirt on you and, and a clipboard in your hand. You're going to be like a forensics guy. And he was like, okay, great. You know, like, hey, Mr. Baines, like, how you doing? He's like, oh, just cooking dinner. I'm like, can you take half an hour? You want to come be in the movie? And it was just like, I mean, is yeah, this your really street? Cool. Yeah, this I mean, was on in like the, on the street where so I grew you, up. So you grew up with these people though. So you, yeah, right. they, they're I've like, oh for, yeah, Danny. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and also like my brother and I have been making movies in this neighborhood for 20 years. So it just, it totally like, oh, your camera so got a little supportive. fancier there. Dan. Yeah. Like who yeah, are all yeah. these other people? Yeah. You know? yeah sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My favorite example, actually, Justin Lerner tells the story, I think maybe on the podcast, but he has done a couple of new movies. Um, but his first one was a hometown, small town situation. And he, ha- he needed a couple cops for the scene and they all got in a fight about who would be in it. And the compromise is that they're all in it basically the the cops got to play themselves in right in a, nice. in, in a background of like one shot of a crime nice scene. nice yeah, yeah. yeah we definitely we have some real uh you know ambulance drivers and, and police officers in this one because it's like they're there they're hanging out and we're like hey we're just gonna pan over you like the all the props look better than any costume shop you know walkie talkies yeah, sure, sure. So, yeah <laughs> they're like they're like this is uh, black panther 2 yeah cool right yeah and you're like sure sure <laughs> yeah, yeah. but but but, yeah, but then you Captain get to share America? you get to share in a fun way because there's a woman uh barbara morris who's lived down the street is like an aunt to us and particularly to my brother will and and they like she's watched him grow up she's like he's lived at her house you know so often and they're watching these scenes happen she's an extra in this one scene and she says afterwards she said you know it's just amazing it just Will just kept doing the same thing again and again as if he'd never done it before. It was amazing. <laughs> and and it was so cool because like that kind of like, you know, it was like so charming, like how naive that angle. It's like, well, that's filmmaking. That's that's acting. But it was like it was really special to share that with the people who we had grown up with. My you parents know, are always like, oh, what, it takes a long time. Yeah. And they're like, oh, wow, this is actually kind of weird. It, it's so and, boring like, and strange. Yeah. My grandpa would always yeah. say, but the hardest part of this filmmaking is the memorizing all the lines. <laughs> right, like, right, right. And I'm like, not that it's not hard, but yeah. it's like not anything anyone ever worries about. Yeah. Well, so, so Danny, I, I love this, but let, let's fast forward a tiny bit, right? Because, you know, it's a, it's a long time going. It's very collaborative in terms of like getting this film in the can. Right. And then you had a, a premiere at, at Sundance. Yeah. You finished the movie, Alec and Jim, corner someone from Sundance and they're like uh (laughs) two choices no we did we did the um I had got probably 12 or 13 rejection letters from Sundance over the years and and we just we submitted by regular submission like whatever whatever the site was at the time and we paid the submission fee we got it in on the regular deadline but you did the opening credits is Alec Baldwin presents a J.J. Cummings production. Uh, yeah, well, starring yeah, I, you know Danny Madden's brother. Whatever that is, but the, but the idea was like, oh, no, we're gonna put this movie in like as 
as it is. Like we're going to give it to him. And, and I think I emailed one of the programmers because she was on the jury um, that had given the short film a prize at South by Southwest. So I dropped her a line just like, hey, heads up. Remember that short film? Here's the feature version. And that was that was the only sort of like inside baseball stuff that was going on there. Did you send was it a final cut of the movie that you sent? That you submitted? No, it was it was a festival cut. It was it was close. It was close to But were to they was Sundance made aware that you were making the movie or anything like that? Like was there anyone who was like, Hey, just a heads up. We're really excited about this one. No. No, 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 none yeah, of that. That's great. None of that. Yeah. So. It would be okay if that yeah. were the case, right? Like Sure. But... And and that that's the case. That's part of their job too, is the programmer like to look out and be like, Hey, what should I be looking out for? And, and you know. So to my knowledge, no, there was not there was none of that. I guess one of the lessons that we learned, at least that I learned from this podcast many times over is that like this person that's like got their feature in a sun into South by Southwest has been going to South by for like five years and has gotten to know the people and that there is like a culture of like filmmakers investing in the festivals, you know, that is helpful, not only because they become friendly with the programmers, but also because they get a much better understanding of what kind of film gets into these festivals, you know? So, so we're, we're saying there's nothing bad about, you know, no, for sure. Knowing for sure. the festival yeah. circuit. Yeah. Which, but but just know, I, I just say that not as like some kind of weird street cred thing, but just as like a factual thing because I know a lot of people say like, oh yeah, Jim has worked on this movie, so you must have like, had a shoe in. Sure, you know? at the like, secret no, that meeting that's not that everybody has, that's, right? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, yeah, and I, obviously I was joking. I didn't mean. Yeah. To no, take no, no, no. But but, but just that, but again, like just in the spirit of kind of like clarity, you know, like some people say, like, how do I get my movie in? And I just say, hey, look, we just did it. You go by regular thing and. If you have work that someone on the team has noticed before, then reach out. But yeah, it's funny because it's not rocket science that like if you're a programmer, you're watching multiple movies a day. Right. So getting an email from a person, you know, makes good movies who says like, hey, heads up, you know, we made another one, you know, of course, dials people in a little bit more. And and of course, when you're curating things, you're trying to like just look at your trusted sources and that can feel complicated for people sometimes but i think it's just about putting in the reps and like they also make their mind up about people in the opposite direction for as many people as like it's like oh yeah we really like this person you know it, people are constantly jumping back and forth they're they're like oh i've been i'm an alumni i've had eight movies at sundance and then the ninth one doesn't get in and vice versa right so if there was a secret sauce we would all be um sprinkling it on every movie we've got a sloppy metaphor but anyway so danny so you premiere at sundance though tell, tell us about that how'd that go you you were in person 2019 yeah yeah 2020 2020 yeah in person um you know the, the the bizarre kind of surreal whirlwind of like a press day is very is very weird but alec came out and was like really sweet and generous in like giving us a full day of his time of just kind of walk because we're all like just kind of like deer in the headlights like me and the three leads had never done anything remotely close to this process before so he was such a great coach through it all and, and kept it very light and fun and and kept it very like in the spirit of of us being new to all of this so. walk us through that a little bit more though because you know uh, i think listeners at home are probably curious as much as i am like what literally uh is happening in, in on on that day you know, sort you of it's like, a, it's like or? you're being shepherded from one uh, you're, you're like like this kind of ping pong game up Main Street in Park City at like this place. You're doing a deadline thing and you're coming over here and you're doing a talk with the, the rap and then you're over here doing this. And are and your producers shepherding, shepherding you through that? Do you, do you hire no, a PR well, we person? Had, we had a PR, Is there a festival we had a PR liaison? Team. 
gotcha. at, this, okay. at this point because it's like you know once movies get into a festival like that it's like that's kind of part of the decision making um so they were great so they organized all these things so you you're ping-ponging around 15 minute interview here another 15 minute there mm-hmm. and it's, but they, it's exhausting they've got an itinerary for you basically yes yeah exactly and, and it's a bizarre thing of just kind of like repeating yourself but trying to make it sound like it's the first time you know i don't really have that kind of like actor's bone in me or like stand-up comedian <laughs> Danny, this is like, episode you know? 266 i get you this buddy is... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so anyway so that was you, you kind of we kind of made it through that which was like you know fun and educational in all its own ways but then like the movie got to play it played five times that week with five different audiences in five different places and we went to every one and just it was like such a treat to see this movie play and sound great in these different venues and hear different audience reactions and who has permission to laugh when and who gasps at what part. And there was one screening where, you know, my brother's one of the leads and the the guy sitting next to him halfway through the movie, like realized that he was the guy, you know, and it was like, Oh, like, so there's all these kind of like fun stories that come from it. And it was just like, I really love that. I really, that's, that's such a huge reason um, that I make these things is to share is to have that act of like, you know, it's like cave people around a fire telling stories, you know, it's like, this is when we all come together and we share what this is. And yeah. And just to have those conversations afterward from people who, whether they liked it or not, you know, it was always like fruitful. And and I really feel so lucky that we got to have at, at least that week with this movie. Do you get anxious watching a movie, your movie with the crowd, like, and noticing things that like you wish you would have done a little bit differently? Not, not usually because I, I developed this thing years ago or else I would never finish anything. I developed this thing where I said, you know what? This is going to be my time capsule with each movie. I say, this is the best movie Danny can make at 25 years old. And then this is the best he can do at 27. This is the best you can do at 29 with these resources, you know, that kind of thing. So this was like, you know what? I feel a lot of people did a lot of really great work on this movie. I stand behind it. Yes, I can see the flaws. Yes, I read the bad reviews and I understand, you know, but it's like I can, I stand behind it and I stand behind it and I can look at it and say, you know, we did this. That's that's what we were able to turn out. And I'm very happy that we did it. You know, It's a good way to look at it. Yeah, yeah it's, it. it's a way to remove. It's a way to remove yourself from it, I guess. You know? Yeah, yeah I, that's what I tell my wife. I'm like, this is the best way I could clean up the house. <laughs> I mean, it's the best I could do at this that's age. That's the most laundry I could do. I'm so sorry. Visit me tomorrow when this I'm older. This is my mistake. Yeah. I have to live with this. Yeah, yeah. I have to live with this. But yeah, so so that's great. So then, so you've had this incredible week. Uh, let's talk a little bit about distribution, right? Because I think you guys are doing a very interesting take on things. You're self-distributing. Walk us through that a little bit. How, how not only how can people see the movie, but also like wh- uh, the thought process behind all Well, that. yeah, well, the process is, hey, in case we only get very insulting distribution offers, we have this <laughs> this backup plan. That's the plan, you know? So, is it insulting in that, like, you can clearly make more money if you do it yourself, or you can clearly get it in front of more people if you do it yourself? Yeah, definitely both. But for example, though, there are some deals, some some distributors won't, will give zero MG, none of that. Right, minimum whatever, guarantee. The, yeah, and, and so, so you're coming in, they're not giving you anything. Even though you've made a movie for a very sw- a small amount of money, you still want to return the investment for the people who put in, you know comparatively small investments but these are still people who you know and then it's like okay so now you're going to do that and then you're going to take half of everything we have and and what and in a time when like indie theatrical distribution is is so weak anyway so we could actually get the movie in more theaters through emails and through 
you know, friends we've made at different film societies all over the, the country or in places around the world. And so I, I think there is a there. It's a special case with Vanishing Angle because they have blazed the trail with Thunder Road uh, of like, hey, we did this. We we kind of um, created these like kind of fan bases and all these different things. So if we're going to open in Cleveland, if we're going to open in Houston, we have people who are going to show up there, you know, Charleston or and it, it's like people will go because the, the film played at the festival there and, and people will champion it. And so that's part of the like the bummer about the 2020 thing with this movie is this movie is about to play South by Southwest and then that closes, which of course has other bummers associated because that's kind of the festival that raised me in a way. They've programmed a lot of shorts that I'd made over the years. And I was so excited to finally sure, like, it's a homecoming. bring a feature yeah, yeah. like there, yeah. you know. Anyway, now, so that that's festival a, still happened, just it was all virtual, right? Not, yeah, not quite. Like 2020, it was a weird thing. You could opt in to have your movie on Amazon for a second for a weird, it was this weird thing and and nobody knew if that was going to like screw up any kind right. of like other. For a feature it was, especially. It was, a, it was yeah, in, in the beginning of all this, we were all scrambling. Because Maureen Barucha's movie, right? Golden she Arm. Did, was, but, but I think it's a, a similar situation where because they were going online, they didn't want to, I don't want to speak for, yeah, they didn't want to screw arm, up but, like but, potential but deals films. later on. So yeah. my, my understanding is most of the movies that that opted into that Amazon thing were international films that that it didn't it wouldn't affect them one way or the other, or their film had already premiered the year before internationally. So and, anyway, whatever that circumstance was, we we ended up not doing it. And but you you really realize because it had in the festival the film had also been accepted to like twenty or thirty other festivals already. You know, for the beginning part of the year spilling into the fall and stuff and it was like so this was going to do a big run and and in that way you are creating these sort of like fan bases these champions for the movie around the country around the world you're maybe and, getting and an email list going or at least some all notoriety. of that yeah, all yeah, of yeah. that absolutely. and were you planning to travel with the film to all that's of them, all or? i wanted to do after a year of sitting at my like hot laptop on my desk in my bedroom cutting this thing you know I wonder um, how much of a COVID denier getting into South by Southwest makes you. <laughs> You're like, it's not, it's guys, it's not that bad. It's Come not, on, it's not that guys. Bad. Let's just hold our breaths and watch these movies. Um, yeah, exactly. So anyway, so I think, I think this film kind of missed out on some of the like potential like fan, fan base building stuff. So, but, but, but again, luckily like Ben Wiesner's super smart, Matt Miller, Vanishing Angle, like they have all these great ideas and they're sort of team working with them on just like how to get the movie out there, how to save a little bit of the budget for P&A when the movie is coming out, you know. Um, well, and, you so, know, it's, it's interesting because it, it, I'm realizing now that it's a tiny bit of a misnomer to say that you're quote unquote self-distributing because oftentimes I think people think of that as a purely DIY situation where someone's like, okay, I'm going to like figure out how to do some Facebook ads and like get people to download it on VOD and that's going to be how I do it, right? But it's really the vanishing angle is it's, I mean vanishing angle is has your distributor how to distribute movies and they're doing that you know that's the, and that's mainly kind of like Ben Weister's uh, load load to bear but he's doing it and he's doing a great job of it and really getting out getting it out there and so yeah I, I think I think this movie luckily I mean fortunately like uh, is gonna have like a pretty nice little life to it you know regardless of, of everything so. so what's the can you tell us what the distribution? plan is yeah so it's been playing like like currently this is you know april what is today the 20th um and so it's it's playing in different uh about nine or ten theaters around the country uh most of which are like alamo draft houses 
So they've been uh, super they've supportive. Got like, uh, Alamo's got like the Alamo on demand sort of. It's uh, also doing a virtual screening at Alamo on demand, but it's playing physically in different different places. Yeah, um, oftentimes those deals are kind of part and parcel. Like they, they it's the same group of people that you're talking right, about. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So it's doing that. And then it'll be playing um, April 30th. It starts at Lamley, North Hollywood in Los Angeles, and it'll do a week there. And then it'll be on demand May 4th on, on wherever you can rent movies and transactional right yeah yeah voodoo itunes amazon all that stuff so because you're you're still playing on multiple screens and things like that how, how do the deals work i guess is maybe a better question like are you getting a slice of the box office are you is there yeah i think it ha- i think it splits i think it splits my understanding is it splits the box office so and it, you, is there a pna uh, requirement oftentimes like sometimes people will be like okay yeah you can you know, we'll we'll play you, but you've got to commit X number you of go dollars. And just shoot it at least two times. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> right. I'm not sure exactly. I do know that in this case, Alamo Drafthouse has been like a real champion of this project. They put it at the top of their monthly newsletter this month, and like have been really great about getting the word out about it. And and we're also doing other like virtual screenings around the country, like you know, cool little um, art cinemas in different cities. And, and I think we're just going kind of half seas on the on the tickets there. And so I guess I'm curious just about you and your career, especially after Sundance. I mean, obviously, you've had these like all these staff picks. You've, you know, you've worked on these award winning films. And now you have your first feature premiere at Sundance. You get to be on the prestigious uh podcast hosted by matt and myself oh yeah this is the Um, right here this is what this is is (laughs) like and but plus covid plus you know distribution and kind of figuring out how to get this movie out into the world like what's like are you in a position where studios are coming to you or people are asking you for new scripts or how you you did it but but when krista happened you had this you got this lesson like oh we got to trade on this momentum write a feature, do the Kickstarter. What's the next momentum building thing that you've done for you, Danny Madden? Well, if you go to kickstarter.com slash hey Danny. Just, just kickstart my rent. Check it out. <laughs> like, come on in. Um, no, I, I, the sort of classic thing that, that came from the Sundance is I got representation off of that. So I'm repped by, by UTA now. I had managers from before from some of the shorts. So that has been nice because then that kind of led to all these like fun, you know, the general meetings, they call it like the water bottle tour around Hollywood. So you go and you have all those, um, which is great. I, I like I like those things. I like to learn about the way these things get put together. And and is that still a Skype thing or have you gone on to Zoom? It was, point? well, that, that was like kind of through February and into into March. That was nice. But then oh, we started to transition into, in person. In, into Zoom. You know, this is like early 2020. You're like, and I've then, got my um, own Fiji now. I have to, I have to go and then, to Costco. Yeah, I just, I'm just refilling this with tap water. I'm good <laughs> yeah. right now. Um, and so, yeah, and, and I think um, that's been nice because then, then you do get that sort of like, hey, send me some scripts. And you get to do those things and you get to play around and do some like little pitches and stuff. So I've been sort of like doing like what I think of as sort of like the Hollywood flirt, you know. It's like there's no real expectation that it's going to like want to date me or anything. But I'm like this is fun. You know, this is, let's kind of like, I'll, I'll, I'll play like this. And then, and then in the, in the meantime, I'm kind of like conjuring up new ideas, the things that I could write myself. And it's also nice to be reading other scripts to just to know what's out there kind of the, the bar where the bar is. So you're getting other scripts sent to you to mm-hmm. just direct. Right. Like open directing assignment, like scripts, like bought by different production companies and things like that. So sniffing around for directors. That's awesome. And so 
Is there any pressure for your next script to be also this like kind of big successful <laughs> Sundance type um, of movie? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, pressure has always been like a uh, felt like a healthy thing for me. V very early on, I, I had a very bizarre. I didn't know anything about the internet, and like the first movie I made out of film school went and kind of did its a viral thing on Vimeo. And then suddenly there is that pressure. There was like, this is just like, oh, this is some dumb thing I made with my brother like back home. What's it and called? It's, it's called Notes on Biology. It's like a little animated thing. A kid in class kind of starts doodling and it comes to life. And it had, and it like, you know, kind of bloomed with all of these like just more like astronomical numbers than I would ever expect. And then it's like, okay. And then suddenly everyone's like, ooh, what's your follow up to that? And then I was like, ooh, okay. That's kind of, I kind of ran away from that for a second. But then I was like, but I'm like, oh, that's kind of fun, though. That's like that's a fun thing to have because I, I definitely do that to myself anyway. You know, I'm always trying to kind of push and try something different and, and like push myself. And so I, I don't know. I, I think I like to operate under some kind of pressure. That's good. I have the opposite effect where I'm like, I, I just nothing I make will be good. So <laughs> might as well just uh, eat some more chips. Uh, yeah. mm, I love yeah. chips. Um, but so let me ask, though, Danny, in terms of like, you know, you're you're flirting with Hollywood, right? But it sounds like you're still kind of thinking of writing things as well. Like, will there come a time where you'll you'll just kind of decide like, oh, I'm going to just keep kickstarting things or like, what do you want? Yeah, next, I guess. Is well, when I say flirting, I, I guess if I elaborate on that a little bit, it just means like it's it's expectationless. You know, I'm taking these meetings. I'm doing these things. I'm, I'm even doing some pitches. People are like, hey, what do you think about a movie like this? And I'm like, give me a few weeks and I'll come back and I'll pitch something just because like I think that's fun. Like I'm, I'm having fun with that process. Like I have I live with my brother who's in the other room doing like two or three, four auditions every week. You know, he pours himself into this thing. He memorizes these lines. He films take after take. He picks it. These are like, he's in my opinion, he's doing like these great performances and setting them off. And then you have to like throw the sides in the garbage and forget you ever did it. You know, so I, I'm, I'm pretty inspired by that process. I think as, as people who are not actors kind of get a little spoiled with like, no, but this is my idea and this is my thing that I have to do. And like, so I think coming at it with this, like, no, let's like play around with this. Let's see. I, I don't expect anyone to be like, hey, congratulations, kid. You got you had one movie playing at this one festival and like, here's the keys to the castle, you know, which has happened a couple of times. And I think that's there's a myth. Uh, around that you know sure well and i guess i guess that's what i'm getting at right is like not that you couldn't someone couldn't give you the keys to the castle but you strike me as the sort of person who's like well no i'm just gonna go make my own castle sure sure right and and i'd, I'd be lying if i if i said i wasn't like super inspired by like the the robert altman's of the world and and those kinds of like hey let's just like figure this out you know maybe i'll do a movie with famous people and it costs this much money or maybe i'll turn around and just do this little thing and so i i get inspired from all directions you know all kinds of artists and stuff so uh, you know it, an ideal for me is to, to be able to kind of like toggle between the two worlds and and, and play and, and learn and let each one influence the other and Soderbergh style so, well exactly Soderbergh's a great great example of that you know? I do think so I had a friend that had a movie at Sundance and I would see him approach actors and crew and things like that and he wouldn't even say that he had like a Sundance film. You know, they'd see his bio or someone else would be like, oh, he had a Sundance film. It was, it seemed to grease the wheels quite a lot, like in, in this pretty awesome way where now if you, 
any project that you do, you're now kind of have this pedigree and anyone's like, well, it might go to Sundance. I mean, his last one did, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then that'd be great. Again, like we, we step right into this is like kind of everything's on pause. So I've, I haven't had the experience to, uh, I haven't had the, the opportunity to experience how greased the wheels have, have gotten. So I'll fill, I'll fill you in if that ever happens. You know? Yeah. That's um, awesome. Well, well congrats. Did, yeah, man. Yeah. Remind us, um, how can viewers check out Beast Beast? Yeah, you can find it. April 30th if you're in Los Angeles go check it out at the Lamley Theater in North Hollywood uh, it'll be playing there Qu- for like a week question can yeah. you eat popcorn in the theater when it's I, playing I think if you're a sneaky a sneaky one yeah <laughs> no I, I don't know I think so yeah sure but yeah May, May 4th is sort of the big r- release that's where it's going to be available on all the, the sort of VOD platforms and wherever you wherever you rent and buy movies it'll be there May the 4th awesome so just like search itunes or whatever apple movies, yep. yeah it'll be there on amazon and google play and you know all the other ones that i haven't heard of yet and uh and i think it'll still be going on alamo draft house on demand if you want to support uh the draft house you can buy a little ticket on that and rent it there i hope uh everyone uh takes a takes a minute with it and enjoys some facet of it yeah i highly recommend people right now go check out the trailer uh, it just came out kind of recently, right? March 26th, the Beast Beast official trailer on the Vanishing Angle channel. It's really good. Awesome. Well, uh, Danny, do you mind uh, hanging out and uh, endorsing for free for us for unpaid endorsements? Yes, I would love that. Unpaid endorsements. I will kick it off with a film. Uh, as my my unpaid endorsement is a film called Blow the Man Down. Have either of you two seen it? Yes. Danny, yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, Oren, I think you would like it. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, I think it made the festival circuit probably like a year and a half ago is my guess. It's been out for a minute for sure. I think it kind of had its moment and uh, I just took my sweet ass time watching it, but I watched it last night. It's great. It's about uh, a pair of young sisters whose mother recently passes away in a small coastal New England town where things are there. There's more foul play afoot than meets the eye. Um, and it's great. It's really wonderful. Certainly, it's taking a, a page from the Coens in a way that I think the filmmakers would be heartily encouraged to to say, to to acknowledge, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Sorry. Uh, that they certainly would acknowledge. Um, but it's really fun. It's really stylized in a way that's great, but also has, you know, some nice authentic moments. And, and, and I think what the thing that really I was the most excited about it is that, like, I think that independent film lately i've been a little frustrated when it feels like an indie movie do you know what i mean there's something alive about it in a way that's really fun and i like that i like it when people are embracing genre or style or just trying something new and and not just trying trying to deliver what you think a quote-unquote indie movie is supposed to look and feel like um because i think that in the same way that hollywood movies have become to single note lately i think indie movies can oftentimes fall into that same sort of category and so blow the man down surprises you in a lot of fun ways but also is still uh, a traditional fun weird movie at the same time so 
That was great. And where did you watch this? On it's some on weird Amazon streaming Prime. service. It's, like it's an Amazon original, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah I th- I, oh, I, I, I some buddies who who worked on that movie. Brian oh, really? Comber did the music, and Bridget the Savage Cole great. is one of the, the co-directors of it. I think co-writers. Oh, wait, do, you, do you know her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it was yeah. uh, written and co-directed by the same. Yeah, same and it's a first feature as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, incredible. It's always, yeah, so you awesome. Know, you always got to cheer. You got to cheer for that. It's a, it's a really fun movie. So, uh, Well, Danny, what you got, sir? Um, well, I am currently uh, rereading Deliverance, uh, which is the James Dickey novel that the film is based on. It's James Di- James Dickey's first novel. He's a you know, poet, very, very accomplished poet. And this was his first stab at a novel. Um, and it is the favorite book of uh, Ben Wiesner, who I've been talking about the whole episode, uh, producer man extraordinaire. And it's the kind of book that like, I'm a pretty slow reader, but it's like you start going and it just tips and you are just, it's done in three or four days. You know, you're just, you just can't stop. It's like such an incredible read and, and such a beautiful kind of companion piece for the movie when you watch the movie because the book's written in the first person and you like really get into the headspace of the character who ed who john voight plays in the movie but um i really recommend reading this one because it'll go so fast and then watching the movie and kind of having some fun comparing that uh, adaptation awesome that sounds great deliverance That's awesome yeah deliverance There's, yeah there you go the new novel from 1970 or <laughs> whatever that came Love out it. yeah um, okay Kaplan, what you got buddy I have three mediocre endorsements. Be really fast. The first one, you guys have uh, an iPhone 11 or 12? I got a 10. Nah, uh, um, I'm way back. I'm like okay. a 6 or something. So, no, the 6 even, is the perfect phone. Okay, you well, I have get the it. perfect phone. Yeah. <laughs> so, in the it's recent from the six, I'm not joking iPhone Pros, they come with a, this charger, a USB-C charger. And it charges much faster than the old charger, the USB-A chargers. And I've discovered... That you can use that charger if you want, like a tiny charger for your laptop. Fires? You can start a fire with that charger. <laughs> yeah. You can start. Yeah. You connect it to a pair of glasses, one lens. <laughs> no, you um, you can just connect a USB-C cable to it. It's like small. It's like almost the size of like you know the regular white block iPhone charger you get, and it has a USB port. You can connect it to your laptop and charge your laptop. And my biggest issue with these Apple chargers are they're just like so gigantic to fit in your backpack wait you're you're saying that basically a phone charger the same form factor as your phone charger can charge your laptop yeah it's like um i'm showing you guys it's not this size but it's like about this size i mean maybe Uh, it's actually smaller than this Um, yeah you could kind of keep it in your pocket if you were you could fit it in your pocket yeah It'd be um, uncomfortable. Somebody, if your your girlfriend might think you're a, or boyfriend might think you're about to propose to them because it's probably about the size of. Oh, like uh, okay, yeah. A, so that's don't. That's what happened with pocket. me. That's the tip that comes with you. Yeah. Unless. But another rec- another piece of advice: if you're gonna propose to someone like on a walk on the beach or something, th- there's no reason you have to take the whole ring box. Yeah. Yeah. Just <laughs> take the ring. Because I'm too neurotic. I'm too neurotic. You take yeah. the ring box I'm sure and everyone. I would lose the ring. They can tell from a mile away. Like, is that a ring box in your pocket? Or are you just about to propose to me? Which I guess the answer would be yes to both of us. But so this uh, iPhone charger, it probably only works. We use it for my wife's laptop, which is like a an old, older MacBook, not the not a Pro. So it's it's tiny. It's like eleven inches or something, and it it charges that just fine. So, but it may explode on a larger on a larger. Yeah, case. I mean it's Keep exploded that. a couple times. Keep yeah, that. Yeah. Um, your battery is just slowly expanding. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the second thing is we're trying to lease another car, and uh, you guys know about Lease Hacker, L E A S E H A C K R. 
there's ways to uh, hack a le- to get a good price on a lease in this place, Lease Hacker. If you're thinking of leasing a car, if you ever own S Corp or LLC or something, I mean, you do, man. You can write off, if you lease a car, you can write off the whole thing. You also, in California, you only pay tax on the lease amount. You don't pay tax on the entire amount of the, the value of the vehicle. So there's some various money savings that I won't bore Daniel with at this point. Um, but Lease Hacker kind of helps uh, outline all of those. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, you see what deals, people post like the deals they got. And then you can just say, hey, look, this, you know, this lady got this deal. Can you give me that same deal? You go to like the Subaru dealer. And the crazy thing is, I I think a lot of people know this, but the deals on the like luxury brands, BMW, Audi, Mercedes are way better. You can get like an Audi or Mercedes for the exact same price as like a Toyota or a Subaru because of the way leases work and the amount of money that the cars are worth after the, the lease ends. So it's just, it's, I don't know if you are into cars at all and want to, Lease one, you should check out leasehacker.com um, on how to get a good deal. And then the last thing is just a trick I came up with uh, with my daughter tonight, which is like if you have kids and they want really expensive things, just uh, choose a few important things to them and explain to them that you will have to sell those things in order to get this expensive <laughs> thing that they want. And they will quickly not want that expensive thing. I can't mm. believe it took me five years to realize yeah. that with Wait, my daughter. So, so what were you threatening to sell? Well, so like, winter. Let's go to the pawn shop and well, bring your bring the dogs. I feel like people are going to think I'm a jerk, but you know, I I own a few DSLR. I have a 5D Mark III and a Sony A7S, whatever. But she doesn't can, care about that camera. No, no, I can take some good photos of my daughter. But there's this photographer at the school that's like, hey, for eighty dollars or something, we'll take a picture of your kid, you know, and then you can pay us for every print or something. I mean, just some absurd amount of money to get photos of your kid at school. So absurd that of the 14 kids in her class, only four parents opted into this thing. And today she comes crying. She's like, I was so mad at you, dad, because my friend got her photo taken. She said it was so fun and I wanted to do it. And my and the teacher said that you didn't want me to do it. And I was so angry at you. And I was like, listen, Winter, we can. It, it's very expensive. If we sell your favorite doll, your um, <laughs> she has this like. Uh, motor-powered Mercedes car. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. If you go to my Instagram, you can see a video of it. And she has, she's like, well, what if I give away this keychain? I was like, Winter, you need to sell it like 400 of these keychains in order to get the money for this thing. Why don't we just sell your brand new bed that has a slide on it? The bunk bed. And she's like, well, no, I need the bunk bed. So anyway, um, at the end, she's like, fine. I guess I don't need, I was like, I was like, yeah, I was also thinking of going to Disneyland. But instead of that, I guess we can give you four minutes with this photographer, which, by (laughs) the way, I can take photos of you, too. I have a million amazing photos of you. Right. So now I'm going to spend like $380 on Disneyland to save 80 bucks. Great. Well, awesome. So that's it. If we want to find out more about you, Danny, are you on Instagram, Twitter, or anything? Uh, I started doing Instagram uh, as like a portfolio thing. It's um, uh, Stuff by Danny. Ooh, I love that. Is is Stuff it? That's Danny. what it is. That's the thesis, and that's what I use it for. So I started it with just to help promote the movie, and yeah. and uh, Beast Beast wherever you download movies, basically. Check that out. And then if you so want to see other Bay, old, older shorts, um, help me out. Yeah, exactly. The older shorts you can find on Vimeo, uh, Vimeo.com/slash/ornana, O-R-N-A-N-A, like an orange and a banana put together. That's the name that I kind of have always made things under with with my friends. I love the. Um, I was secretly looking around at some of the Ornana shorts while we were talking. I love that. The sand one. 
Yep, confusion through sand. Yeah, I mean, incredible. Uh, Were you hand drew all that? Yeah, that was all um, markers on recycled paper. Wow, it's you guys should check it out. It's really awesome. Well, um, you can uh, check out all of the stuff that we talked about at justshootitpod.com. We'll have links to uh, the movie and a handful of the shorts, Vimeo channel, all that stuff. And uh, you can follow us across all social media at justshootitpod. Uh, we're especially our Instagram is doing pretty well and if you're paying super close attention there might still be an opportunity to win a bunch of gear from black magic uh including cameras resolve licenses the cool like the panels that they use for color timing you know like the different yeah, color grading you know, panels grading panels Control all panels. sorts of stuff so we're giving all that stuff away um uh, keep your eyes peeled on that just shoot a pod uh, on instagram and you can follow me at mr madden and i'm at o kaplan on instagram i'm at smitey pileg on twitter uh, you can also email us just shoot a pod at gmail.com we love to hear from you please email us and tell us what you think about everything we don't care give us your unpaid endorsements we just love to hear from you. Um, this episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. Our social media maestro is Derek Aiello. Our producing consultant is Ali Kornfeld. And the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Thanks Danny. everyone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.